I just love Christmas time. Uh, some of my children have caught that too. Um, but Christmas is just a joy to me. I look forward to it. I could start counting on Tuesday morning uh, for the next year because it's so exciting. I always thought this was the best, best time of year. And for a pastor, it's the best of messages to proclaim too because it's about Jesus Christ. And that's what we do. And that's what we have been doing here in Luke chapter number 2, all the way through our Christmas season, the month of December, and even next week as well. We cannot just leave the theme that quickly. And we get one more week in December next week. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 2, primarily verse number 10 and verse number 11. But we haven't said much about verse number 11 yet, but we will uh, this evening. This evening, our Christmas Eve service, we will go into verse number 11. But today, as I've been reading each week from a different translation, uh, some of them were quite familiar to you. The King James Version, of course, is one that's very familiar and very loved by us. New American Standard Version, I read to you from there. Um, I've read to you from the Amplified Version, which is a fun version to read from. And today I'm going to read to you from one of the newest translations that has been under work. It's actually not even in print yet. It's digital. It's available digitally, but it's not available in print at this time. It started in chapter, in uh, 2011 called the Lexham. Lexham, L-E-X-H-A-M, English version. And what's fascinating about it is the, the, com- or the translators, like many of the others, seek to be as accurate as they possibly can be, and yet trying to uh, exhibit terminology that we use today. That's a big task, an enormous task. And so I'm just going to read to you the Lexham version today from Luke 2, 8 through verse number 20. And there were shepherds in the same region living out of doors and keeping watch, guarding over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news to you of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angel had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has revealed to us. And they went hurrying and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the statement that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were astonished concerning what had been said to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Heavenly Father, this message that the shepherds heard, we have read it so many times in Scripture, that we are very glad that it was declared. For it has changed us forever. A Savior has been born for us. What a glorious thing that is. Today, this day, this Sunday, on the day we call Christmas Eve, we rejoice in what you have done. We rejoice in the remembrance that our Savior took on flesh and came to dwell among us. Our Savior, God with us, and one who died for us as well. We are overwhelmed with the message that this season brings to our hearts. I pray this morning, Lord, as we look into it one more time, that you, because it is your word, and because it never accomplishes anything but your will, but accomplish that very will in our hearts today. And may we leave this place rejoicing for what you have done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I refer to every single week now this month has been from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. The fact is that since God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Now, I'm always intrigued with that phrase, freely give us all things, because that's what I've been focusing on here, even in this very familiar section of Scripture, that there are more things here given to us because we have a Savior, because the Lord was given to us. See, the gift is Jesus Christ. And we don't want to mistake that at all. The gift is Jesus Christ. But with that gift of Jesus Christ come some wonderful things that we've been finding in this passage. The first thing we saw was the gift to perceive the need. And the shepherd's response to the angels in this context was fear, and it would have been for you too. They were terribly afraid of what they saw. But that's still a reality of a spiritual condition too. And we talked about that. And we have a humongous need. When we consider all that uh, we are, apart from Christ, when we were lost in our sins, when we were dead in our trespasses, we had every cause to fear Him. And yet this message came to meet our need. And I like that. That was a gift to us, to perceive the need. God had designed it so. We talked about that. We talked about the gift of good news. What a merciful message. He could have given us news. And almost any kind of news we deserved. But good news we did not deserve. And yet that's the very thing the angel brought. Good news. We saw that. We saw that the gift was also of great joy. And we examined that last week pretty uh, extensively, talking about the joy that comes. And by the way, this joy you cannot separate from the news, nor can you separate it from Jesus Christ. That's why we have joy. 
And we talked about that last week. That too is a gift that has come my way. But today, the last phrase of verse number 10 says, which will be for all the people. Which will be for all the people. And I like to call this one the gift of being included. What a magnificent thing it is that the Lord would look down from heaven and say, I love you. And I give my son for you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the beauty of the whole passage that we're studying here. But the gift of being included is what I'd like to focus on here this morning because I am very thankful that the Lord included me. And I'm sure that you feel the same way. Here in our season, as you well know, you see this and you probably hear it a lot, uh, Christmas for some can be one of the most lonely holidays. The evidence that we see to fill that void, sometimes it is in a sudden surge of volunteers, right? We see them come out, reaching out to the homeless folks, reaching out to nursing homes or hospitals, giving to food banks, Salvation Army kettles. How many places are they? Just about every store you go in, you find another one. The Samaritan Purse, a ministry we've been part of here for uh, several years. The ability to go overseas to, to make financial uh, gifts to people. Some of you might have even done it. There are places where you could buy a goat for a family, or a cow for a family, or such like that. You provide for other people. And, and it's, it's just a reality. This time of year seems to bring that to the forefront, doesn't it? We, we are a little more generous. We're a little more charitable this time of year. And it's kind of interesting because we, we give these gifts and, and sometimes it does go, especially to those who, who feel so isolated from the rest, so needy, so lonely, and so, so you know, hurt from a whatever it might be, that, that this is a hard time of year for them. And so we plow in with ideas of gifts, actually. I, I don't know if it actually removes loneliness. But it does sometimes uh, encourage somebody for a duration of time. Now, Christmas is celebrated for a great number of reasons. We know that. And I'm not here simply to, to bring up social needs of our day. There's plenty of that out there. Um, I'm not talking about political needs, economic needs, medical, judicial, you name it. Uh, those needs are not uh, what I'm forefronting here this morning. Uh, I'm talking about a spiritual need. And what this spiritual need is, is universal. It's not just in one isolated place or with one group of people. Uh, This message, though given from an angel to the shepherds, speaks directly to the spiritual need of this world. And what's true is, it's been the need of this world all the way from Adam until the present time. There's no time when we could say, well, that need was well covered and we don't need to worry about it anymore. The spiritual need is still here, folks, and it will be tomorrow too. And it will be next week as well. 
That's the beauty of what I'd like to share with you this morning here, is that when God says He loved the world, that's a very big place. So much did He love this world that He gave His only begotten Son. I've been outlining the verses for you in verse number 10 and verse number 11. As verse 10 is the message declared, the angel said... Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's the message declared. The message defined is in verse number 11. The message defined is real simple. It's Jesus Christ. It says, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the definition of the good news. Our focus, obviously, today will be on the end of verse number 10, which will be for all the people. I want you to follow me for a few minutes, okay, of explanation. And I'm going to illustrate what I want to tell you today. But I want you to notice some things very particular about the passage in front of you. All right? We're going to pay attention to particular words. The angel was proclaiming the good news. It was the news of great joy. They literally were proclaiming great joy to the shepherds. This great joy is followed by the pronoun which. So it's going to use that little pronoun to to help us understand more of what it's about. Right? And notice the next couple of words. I think your text will be very similar to mine. Which will be... Now, I find that to be very fascinating. A powerful little verb in front of us right there. Will be. We call it future tense in the Greek studies. Future tense. But as sure as dry concrete. By that I mean this. There is no maybe with that word. There is no could be with that word. It's not in what we would call the subjunctive mood, which is potential. This is not a potential verb. And that's what makes it so powerful to me as I'm looking at it right now. As you're looking at it right now. It will be. God has no doubts about what is about to be said. You see? It's powerful when you think about these simple thoughts. Some people call it the prophetic tense. Trying to capture the essence of it. But, like I said, there's no doubt on God's mind as this is being stated. The angel's pronouncement was that Jesus Christ is the answer to man's need. He is the Savior. And there's no doubt. And there's no other option given here. It will be. That's the good news. It will be. Now, it's not looked as a a potential. Although, in our world, the way we do things, everything's a potential, it seems. If we put in the right ingredients, right? If we put up the right decorations, if we do the right level of charitable giving, if we do the right kind of present, 
maybe we could bring the holiday up to some respectable, joyous, or merry kind of condition, right? We tend to think that way sometimes. See, man does his best to manufacture joy. And that's what I've noticed a lot. God said, great joy will be to all the people. Now, there's something I need to investigate with you here. Because maybe it's already going through your mind when you just heard that statement. If you have these thoughts, they're not new. They're not new. For centuries, man has tried to reconcile this message with the events of the day. How could God say, Peace on earth, goodwill to men? How could this text say, just as Pastor Bob has been telling you, Great news, which will be for all the people. How can they say things like that when you look at the world around us? How many people struggle with such things? An awful lot do. I'll take you back to the 1800s just to give you a head start. In the 1800s, right around uh, 1861, you know what a big event was starting in the United States? There was a civil war. There was a poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote a poem in 1864, three years later. But let me tell you what happened in those three years. The first, the American Civil War began in 1861. But that was not the only thing that brought despair into his heart. His wife, during the summer of 1861, her name was Fanny, she was uh, cutting their little daughter's hair and wanted to preserve it. So she was very carefully trying to cover it with wax, melted from a candle, and the, one of the ashes or something fell down on her dress and caught fire. And it wasn't but moments, and she was just completely engulfed in flame, and she tried to put out the flame, and it's a tragedy, but she died the next day. Some of the words that came from Longfellow's notes, he said, after that, how inexpressibly sad are all holidays. And then he wrote again, another year later, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. In 1862, he wrote in his journal, A Merry Christmas, says the children, but that is no more for me. Then came another year. 1863, he got a note that his oldest son Charles, a lieutenant in the army, had been severely wounded. A bullet had passed under his shoulder blades and severely injured his spine. His journal was silent that year. 1864, they found a poem. He wrote on Christmas Day, 
And we've sung the song so many times. It's in our hymn book, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And these are the actual words. Are you ready for this? These are the actual words of the song. And by the way, in the order that Longfellow originally wrote them, there are parts here that we never sing. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth goodwill to men. Then, from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols round of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstone of a continent, and made forlorn the household holds born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail and the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Still today, folks, we see it. We've watched it for over a year, many, many years. But there's one last year we've seen the bombings, we've seen the shootings, we've seen the tragedies, all sorts, haven't we? We've seen everything from uh, famines, diseases, to natural disasters. We see mankind scratching their head constantly trying to reconcile these things with the message that is proclaimed from God's Word. They don't understand. What does God mean good news of great joy will be for all the people? They don't know what to do with that. Is that just simply a diversion that we use to get over the pain for a few weeks? Well, here's the reality. God knows our need. God knows our need. He knows. He knows. He knows that our need is due to sin. That's universal. Sin has separated us from God. It made us His enemy. It has earned for us eternal death and suffering in the lake of fire. That's told in Scripture. The wages of sin is death. It says so. And the soul that sins it shall die. It says so. And folks, we have no greater need. We have no greater need. This world has no greater need. All other needs of this life are temporary in one way or another, and they usually have a temporary solution. But sin has eternal results. That's the frightening thing about it. It has eternal results, and it can't be patched up with anything this world offers. That's why God offers the solution. Because the world can't. God has the solution for sin, folks. It's exactly why He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's the good news that we talk about. That's the great joy that we talk about. And let us add to this fact, and it is a fact, because you just read it in this passage, it is for all the people. You ready? I call this the gift of being included. Because God would have good reason. God would have justifiably excluded us from everything that is good. He could have left us in our sinful state. He could have turned his back on us. He could have continued to let us go down the path of destruction. And he would still be right if he did it. It would not have diminished his glory. It would not have diminished his holiness in any way whatsoever. If God had done that. And I use the word if because that is the potential that could have been there. But it's not the actual thing that happened. See, there are a great number of debates out there. When we read this word, for all the people, they debate, well, what does God mean when he sent his son? What is the extent of that gift? To whom does that apply? And there are theologians who have been debating this for centuries, folks. Centuries. They've made divisions among them, trying to figure out, was the death of Jesus Christ for only of the elect, or was it for everyone? Is it... You know, when we talk about the five points of Calvinism, the middle one there is limited. Or the other side is unlimited atonement. As to how does that apply? Now, that's pretty deep stuff. Very confusing at times. I simply read words to you today, and they are God's message, which will be for all the people. Do you read that? Is that what your text says too? You know what that means? He included me. That's what I like. I don't deserve that. Neither do you. We do not deserve to be included in this. I know what we deserve. And I know what God has graciously given to us. See, the commentaries will wrestle all day long with such words as all the people. And they try to figure out who does that speak to. Many of them actually say, well, it's really technically speaking about the people of Israel. Because it's the people. They use the word laos. That's a Greek word there in front of us, by the way. L-A-O-S. Simple word, laos. And here's a simple definition. A people, a people group, a tribe. A nation. All those who are of the same stock and language. Does that sound like it's only one group? No. It didn't say that. That word isn't used for such a purpose like that. But then they say, okay, if it can refer to anybody, why is there a die in front of it? The people. And so they say, well, that must be important. And the people seem to speak of a definite group. And so the commentaries read like this, almost to a a T. The news was to be proclaimed to all the people. These were specifically the people of Israel. But perhaps Luke also hinted that the Savior would be for all mankind. Now that's the safety net to put under it. 
Well, maybe he was hinting that it meant for everybody. I want to show you something. You ready? This is fascinating to me. If you go to the concept, it's just for Israel. Do you know how many divisions were in society in Israel? You can start at the top. They, they, they divided themselves from the Gentiles, for starters. So there's the Jewish people, and there's the, Israel, or the, the Gentile people on the other side. And God chose them, so that just puts them to the top like cream rises in the milk. People said, not my milk. Yeah, old tide. Milk the cow, the cream rises, okay? That's the old way. So, they say, okay, we were the top. We were the cream because God had chosen us through Abraham. But then if you go into the Jewish society, there's the have and the have-nots. And when you have the have and the have-nots, you've got a spiritual pecking order that they've designed, with the highest being the spiritual people, the high priest being the top of the rank, and then you've got up underneath him the religious body. We've got Pharisees and Sadducees, or Sadducees and Pharisees, depending on which branch you're part of, whether or not you'd like to be above the other guy. Uh, then you also have Levites, and then you have scribes, and then down below that bunch you have common folks, the laborers. You have the carpenters, you have the uh, uh, farmers, you have the... Uh, well, it goes down this little list of laborers. Guess what is among the lowest of the laborers in the Jewish realm? And the Egyptians hated them. They were called shepherds. Because they smelled funny. They were out with sheep all day long. They never looked highly upon the shepherds, by the way. But the shepherds, nevertheless, were in that category. Now, being a shepherd, though, in Jewish mentality was better than being a woman. Because that was the next branch below, was the women. And below them were the sinful women. And below them was the woman who was a Jew that married a Gentile, or a Gentile that married a Jew. They were called half Jew, half Gentile. Or, another term you saw a lot in Scripture, from the location they lived in, Samaritan. And by the way, you want to get to the worst of the worst? A sinful Samaritan woman. Now, who would talk to one of those? John chapter 4. Jesus went to speak to one at the well. How likely would the lowest lung be included in the grandest event? If kings were crowned, the upper crests were included. If holidays were observed, the pageantry went to the highest order. When Jesus came, the message was given to shepherds. When Jesus spoke for the first time, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and to set free the downhearted. And to proclaim the year, the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. He died on a cross, folks, didn't he? And for whom did he die? Those shepherds? Yes. Did he die for laborers? Yes. Did he die for Samaritans? Yes. Did he die for Gentiles? 
That's me. He even died for the religious leaders. So does that mean that they're all saved by his death? Ah, this is where we're very careful, aren't we? Because scripture says, only if they believe. Only if they believe. In Acts chapter 16, Paul's in prison in Philippi. And the Philippian jailer, a Gentile, a jailer, came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer was not, well, why don't you work your way up in the social status, become an important individual, and then God might save you. He didn't say that. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In John chapter 1, John is recording for us very important words about Jesus Christ. He says, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And in John 1.11, this is 10 through 14, but in verse 11 he says, he came unto his own, his own people, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I love those words, but as many, as many as received him. See, they were born, not of blood, John writes. No, it wasn't who your your family line came from. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not the will of the man. You can't do it. You can't work your way into this. This is of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came so that we might believe. See what it means to be included? God said, whosoever may come. He meant the good news of great joy was for all the people. He said, but as many as received him. He meant as many as received the good news of great joy. It's for all the people. You see, let me make this simple for you. And I think this helps. If I could make enough chocolate chip cookies for everybody in the world, that would be an amazing thing, by the way. But if I did... You may think I'm very generous, but is it likely that everybody on the face of this planet would avail themselves of that gift? The gift is true, but the response is necessary. The gift of Jesus Christ is a gift of God. It includes eternal life in that name. The gift of God is grace. It's mercy. It's forgiveness. None of that comes from some sort of a list of those who are excluded. God has given the gift. And He's invited us to come. That's an amazing thing to me. You know how blessed we are when we come to Him? Let me read you some some. Uh, verses here. First Peter 2, 9 and verse 10. Now watch the words. You ready? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For once you were not the people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Romans 9, verse 25 through uh, 26, Paul's writing, he says, Also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not, had not beloved, or was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it is said to them, You are not my people, there they shall call the sons of the, they shall be called the sons of the living God. And in Romans 10, verse 21, But as for Israel, he says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I say then, has God rejected his people? No, may it never be. He goes on to explain more of that. But this is where it gets real beautiful. Romans 15:10. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then in Acts chapter 26, verse 23, it says that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of, his re- of the resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And again in Acts chapter 15, very important chapter in scripture by the way, they had a debate in that day, as to whether or not God's grace and his gift of salvation should be for Gentiles. An incredible debate going on in the church in Acts chapter 15. And after the testimony was given, it says all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And Simeon had related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentile a people for his name. I want to read to you one more verse. Listen very carefully. Because there is a choir assembling in heaven. It's assembling in heaven and preparing to sing these very words. In Romans 5, 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What does it mean to be included, folks? When Jesus Christ came and that message was declared, it was for all the people. That's our world. We have people all over the place that need this message. That's the good news. That's for whom Jesus Christ lived and died. That's the ones that someday, those who believe will join that choir. You too. I can't wait to see it. Because there are tribes... And people on this planet that you might think, wow, I don't know if they're ever going to hear the message. I don't know if they ever get through to them. I don't understand. There will be every tongue represented there. Every tribe represented there. Every language. Every people. There will be somebody there standing there and say, yes, the Lord saved me too. I was included. Aren't you glad you're one of them? 
That's the good news. That's what he said in this passage. It's good news because we're included. It's great joy because we're included. It's God's gift that he should include us. That's changed me forever. That's changed you forever. Heavenly Father, what a marvelous thing you have done. We rejoice in it today. Thank you for including us. Lord, maybe this morning there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ as Savior, and they just now realize that this gift is given to them too, if they would believe. And I pray, Lord, as only you can do it, draw their hearts to yourself. Help them to see the truth of the gospel and to realize Jesus Christ is the only Savior who can save them from their sins. May they believe that today and know the hope of eternal life, the good news of great joy that we celebrate this time of year. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him goes all our praise. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving me. I love being included. And we give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.